Hello and welcome back to the Motorsport Bear Tug podcast. Today we have a very special guest joining us for this week's episode. It is my honor to welcome Jack Nichols. Uh, as we all know, Jack has been the lead commentator for the FIA Formula E World Championship ever since the inception of the series in 2014 and has covered every Formula One race for BBC Radio 5 Life since 2016. Uh, in addition to having commentated for the FIA Formula 2 and the FIA GT1 World Championship since 2011, uh, Jack has worked with the Olympic Broadcasting Service to cover a range of sports at the London 2012 Summer Olympics, Sochi 2014 Winter Olympics, and the Rio 2016 Summer Olympics. Welcome to the podcast, Jack. Uh, it is an absolute pleasure to have you here. And although Formula E has been away, uh, Formula One has probably kept you very busy over this two-month break. How was that F1 2022 season opener for you in the commentary box? Uh, I really enjoyed it, to be honest. Great to be great to be on the podcast, guys. Um it was uh, it was it was a lot of fun to be honest because you and it was the perf you know the whole Verstappen Hamilton Abu Dhabi thing it was a you know it was a, it was a controversial thing and for me it was an incorrect thing but it kind of got a bit boring right in that there's only so much you can say about it we keep going on about it oh you know Abu Dhabi this Abu Dhabi that so it was actually really nice for me that. Hamilton wasn't in the fight. It was Verstappen versus Leclerc, Ferrari versus Red Bull, and you know the story changes a little bit. I think if we'd if we'd gone into that race with Verstappen on pole and Hamilton second, then you'd just be a bit like, oh, here we go again. Like as much as I enjoyed that fight, it was it was nice to like draw a line under it for a little bit at least. So just a little bit of a story change was was a lot of fun. I think I think we all share the same view on that. You know, we're so happy to finally leave that. Uh incident behind if you want to call it yeah. that and you know uh it, it was kind of sad to see for uh fia still prolonging it uh and you know still conversation about it but we're thankful that it's gone and we have a new battle on our hands hopefully but uh we're not here to talk about formula one we're here to talk about formula e specifically so let's jump into that you know uh so the biggest change this season was obviously for everyone was uh the new qualifying format uh that formula in- formula e introduced and uh, after the introduction of the new qualifying format, which has been a success with the fans and drivers alike, we've seen uh, three races with three different pole sitters and nine different podium finishers. Uh, although the spread of points across the grid has been similar to previous seasons so far, which is great, which is what we wanted, uh, it does seem as if a certain pecking order is being established with the Mercedes powertrains on top. Uh, how do you reckon the season is going to pan out? Well, I think you're absolutely right. And that's what this new qualifying was meant to meant to provide because Formula E is... It's competitive enough that you don't need to sort of fake the grid with with the qualifying format as it was and back to front because that worked in seasons one to, uh, you know, five or six. But then when you have these, everybody has converged now in Formula E, so they're so closely packed that if you start the championship leader at the back, even if they're the quickest car, they're not coming through to win. There's no chance. So... I really like the new qualifying. I really like that it gives us a bit more of a pecking order, like you say. And it's shown that I think there was a lot of thought after race one where Mercedes won easily in Diria. And then the next day they had pole position and you thought, oh dear, right. <laughs> but it, is, it isn't like that because no. Nick De Vries didn't win the second race. You know, he slipped back down the field and then suddenly in Mexico, they were there or thereabouts. The Venturis were there, but it, what it's not, you're not going to get that domination because teams can have good and bad weekends because Formula One, uh, I mean, the next race, uh, 
you know, at the, at the time of recording, this is Saudi Arabia. So that's a bit of a new one. But when by the time you go to Barcelona and Spa and Monza and these teams know everything back to front. Whereas for Formula E, when you go to the next race, you might have been there once or twice before and done an hour of practice. But that's it. You don't, you don't have enough data. And that's so, for example, in Mexico, that's what caught Jaguar out because they won last time we were in Mexico City. So they put the same setup on the car and it wasn't right. And they struggled. And it's those it's that that will always keep Formula E mixed up a little bit, I think. Yeah, and Jaguar has been a surprise. You know, going into the season, we all thought Jaguar was going to do extremely well. Extremely well, They were going to be challenging again at the top step, uh, you know, at the front of the championship. Uh, but uh, uh, another thing we saw the, going into the season was were the three rookies. And although we have only had three races so far this season, what do you make of the three rookies who have joined the grid? They haven't had uh, the best start as compared to maybe the likes of Jake Dennis or uh, Maximilian Gunther a couple of seasons ago. Uh, but what do you make of them? Well, it takes time when you're a rookie. And even with Jake Dennis, we saw that uh, um, he didn't score any points in the first two races in Diria. I think he didn't then score points in the... I think he didn't score points for the first four races. I might be wrong. And then suddenly he won in in Valencia. Yep. Um, so it does yeah. take a bit of time to get up to speed. I think the biggest struggler has been Antonio Giovinazzi, which... Um, is a bit of a surprise because he's he's so good. But I was speaking to him actually in Bahrain and because uh, he was there as Ferrari's reserve driver. And he was saying it's just so different. It's just such a different thing for him to get his to get his head around. Plus, he had to miss a day of preseason testing because uh, he then went and did the, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Was it Abu Dhabi? It might have been. Anyway, he had to miss it for one of them. So he's definitely started on the back foot a little bit, but I think it definitely takes four or five races for the rookies to get up to speed. Because last year, do you remember, uh, Norman Nato, okay, he nearly got a podium in Rome, but he hadn't really done anything. And then suddenly the the Valencia race was Jake Dennis versus Norman Nato. And you're like, oh, right, here they are. (laughs) So I think another couple of races and and we'll start to see the rookies uh, perform a little better. Tictum's been all right, actually. He's he's had some good qualifying pace up against Turby. But uh, yeah, it, it takes... All the drivers are always surprised how long it takes them to, to learn Formula E. Yeah, that's that's a fair observation. I think we were expecting a lot more, at least uh, I was, out of uh, Oliver Askey, who's coming from an IndyCar, which is a super competitive series, but we haven't really seen um, much from him yet. But li- like you said, you know, it's only been three races and there's a lot to come. Uh, but let's focus on a bigger issue, I feel, that Formula E has faced over the last couple of years. Now, obviously, over the recent years, we've seen multiple factory teams, manufacturers, uh, powertrain, powertrain suppliers, whatever you want to call them, leave the sport. And now Mercedes will be following suit uh, after a very short and successful stint in Formula E. Uh, why is that? Uh, obviously, some of those powertrains like Audi um, and uh, BMW are still on the grid, but they'll get phased out as we move into Gen 3. But why have these you know, manufacturers left uh, slowly uh, over the last couple of seasons? Well, Mercedes... So I'll take Mercedes first because they're a bit of an oddity. I think they... I don't know exactly what happened at Mercedes, but I think there were there was certainly a lot of parts of the company that wanted to keep racing in Formula E. And for whatever reason, that you know, at the very highest, and this is what you get with manufacturers, the very highest board level has made the decision not to not to continue. I don't think it was sort of a you know a unanimous decision from everyone at Mercedes. I think it was um, a sort of internal thing. 
Now that doesn't take away from the fact that they have left, but I think the I think the team at Brackley will will stay on is is looking like the way it's going to go. So the the team will stay on the grid, which is good. But obviously that's not ideal. The others with um, uh, uh, BMW and uh, Audi. Now they were both in Formula E since the very start. Audi were there with Apt. BMW weren't there. They, they sort of joined Andretti in sort of season two, a bit more in season three, and then a full entry in season five. But the safety car has always been, or had always been, a BMW. Yep. So they had that involvement in Formula E for the first eight years of the series. So I don't find it, for me, it's not too concerning that a manufacturer that's been with you for eight years, you know, we see how it goes in DTM. They come and do it for a bit and then they leave. Formula One, they come in and do it for a bit and then they leave. It's just sort of how it rolls. And the other part is there were so many manufacturers on the grid in Formula E that it was almost unsustainable because they're all there to win. Yep. And they can't all win. So at some point they'll be like, well, why are we spending this money and, and not winning? Certainly Audi put a lot of investment in, a lot of effort, and, and they hadn't won a championship since season three, despite having a very fast car on occasion. So I think that Formula E had so many manufacturers that some were sort of always going to leave. That's that's really interesting. We haven't really heard heard that perspective before from anyone that we've talked talked to about Formula E. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. The sustainability issue, as you said, is pretty insightful from you. But obviously, talking about for the future of Formula E, you know, uh, the interest is, st is still there. Maserati is joining for for the next season, and McLaren are looking to take over the Mercedes operation. Uh, but I think stepping into, you know, talking about Gen 3, uh, the cars will be revealed in Monaco in uh, at the end of April. But what do you uh, what do you think can be the major sporting regulation changes as such? For example, you know, fast charging and uh, pit stops as it it has been hinted. Yeah, I, I think, I think um, first, I've not seen the Gen 3 car at all. There was some event there yeah. was an event in uh, where was it i think it was valencia where a load of yep. people were invited to see the gen 3 car i wasn't invited and then everybody came back and was like <laughs> i was like oh guys where have you been i've been you know eating dinner by myself they were like oh we've just been to see the gen 3 car oh, oh right. uh, we were how really was it? hoping for an insight yeah, exactly here. <laughs> so then i'm like well how how was the gen 3 car they're like oh we can't tell you fine <laughs> <laughs> annoying so i so i haven't seen it oh. but um I think I think Vidan, you're absolutely right with the with the fast charging. I think that's going to be so interesting to see in what way it uh, in what way it is implemented. You know, if because that that whole it brings back the sort of refueling element of of Formula One, doesn't it? Of yeah. you know, you stop for longer and you can then drive faster because you have more energy, or you stop for shorter and but you've then got to to drive slower because uh, you have to save your energy more. I think that will be really, really interesting if we, if, we start, if we start doing that. I think that's kind of the next big step because it's, it's a big step in a sporting sense and also a big step in a, um, what's the word, like, uh, you know, road relevance sense because obviously charging yeah, is, is, is the biggest sort of uh, problem with electric cars at the moment. 
Absolutely. Man, this whole podcast uh, but, is for I mean, not. We're hoping for some juicy insights into the Gen 3 card that never yeah, heard, heard I'm before. Sorry. I, I'll go now. If <laughs> <you> <laughs> <want>. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, as you talked about, you know, strategy. Uh, so with the fast charging, the strategy, the most of the strategy would be, you know, behind the charging and the pit stops. So is it time for Formula E to get rid of attack mode and fan boost as they were the major strategic elements so far? I think that I think that a race in which you have attack mode and fast charging, suddenly you're making it very complicated, basically, to watch. Because attack yeah. mode is, is... I like attack mode. I think it's a very nice solution to not having pit stops. Um... But I think it is when everyone's in attack mode and all the things are pinging everywhere, you know, it, it is, it is, and suddenly they've dropped back behind him and you can't remember why. And then he's now yeah. got ahead of him. And then it all shuffles out. But there are times where you're like, okay, some races it's easier than others. I think sometimes when they put three attack modes in, it's like, <laughs> this, is, this is a bit much, yeah. you know. But um, overall, I really like attack mode as a concept. But if you have attack mode and the fast charging suddenly there's a there's a lot going on i mean maybe if you have you can do one pit stop and one attack mode or something like that then then maybe that's maybe that's the way around it um fan boost i think yeah i don't i don't know i don't know how long fan boost will will be around to be honest it's a it's a straight because it doesn't make it it doesn't make a huge difference really you know these five drivers get one power boost and they can defend or attack or and maybe they gain a place, maybe they keep a position, but that's it. You don't, you know, you don't win the race from 15th because of fan boost. So yeah, that's a, that's a sort of Formula E decision of how much it um, sort of brings interaction, you know, uh, with the fans, which is obviously what it was designed for. But yeah, I think fast charging and attack mode would be, would be a lot, but it depends if you you know if you can come into the if you can if you only get one pit stop and then you get to decide how much energy you put in then fine uh maybe have an attack mode as well but if you're sort of having two pit stops or something then you know and then attack modes all in a 45 minutes then it'll be quite busy for me yeah. <laughs> it'll be commentator's nightmare mm -hmm. uh but but what if what if we have pit stop you know like <laughs> fast charging and pit stop although we haven't heard a lot about it alongside the gen 3 car but what if we, we were to have that, but instead of having attack mode, we switch to a more like IndyCar, like push to pass system where you have, you know, let's say 120 seconds or 180 seconds of more energy uh, that you can deploy if if you have that energy stored, like you said, uh, based on your strategy. Yeah, well, I think the, the very original plan actually for Formula E was that every driver would have uh, four like boosts and then um, three drivers would get an extra fan boost. So everybody was going to get some boosts, some push to passes, and then every the, the winners of the vote got an extra push to pass. That never worked out, I presume, for, um, you know, in the early days, uh, the battery technology was not what it is today. So I think it was decided to, yeah. to scrap that. But yeah, I think I think that's definitely a I think that's definitely a possibility. I wouldn't mind tire changes because every team you kind of have two sets of tires for the whole weekend, uh, basically. Yeah. I mean, you have one and a half, but on a double header, you have two. Uh, so I, I don't see a reason why you couldn't go into a weekend and you have 
one set of hard tyres, one set of soft tyres for the whole race, for the whole weekend. You obviously want to use your soft tyres in qualifying, but then it's up to you what you start the race on. I don't know. And then you come in and make your pit stop. That could lead to some interesting things. But then, again, you start to introduce a lot of a lot of strategy is complicated. And it's whether you want to make the racing that complicated. Because sometimes I think Formula E's strength has been, especially especially before attack mode. Attack mode's quite simple, but before attack mode, it was just, we start the race, you got to make a pit stop to change your car. That's it. Those are the only, there's no DRS. There's no tires falling away. There's no, you know, uh, success ballast or there was nothing kind of artificial about it. And, and I think there still isn't, to be honest, because although it's a strategical thing, the um, attack mode, it is strategical rather than artificial. So I, I like that purity that Formula E has. So suddenly, do I want us to have soft tyres, then hard tyres, and they're in attack mode, and they have done their energy pit stop, and they, you know, suddenly <laughs> it becomes very... Again, I'm just trying to avoid any work, basically. Like, anything that's, anything that's yeah. too difficult for me to explain, I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. In a 45-minute race, it is it is going to be too difficult for anyone to follow, let alone, you know, fans or commentators, yeah. for even the teams to follow, I guess. But... Uh, I mean, talking about again, just continuing the the pit stop and that conversation, that fast charging conversation. Conversation. I remember after Valencia last year, we had that conversation once again. You know, that because the Valencia last year, the race was a strange one, and there was that uh, like everyone was talking about it. So, can fast charging lead to uh, Formula E go to permanent race tracks, basically? Well, that's a, the the thing is, if Formula E goes to permanent racetracks, then it becomes a, a, a slower, quiet Formula One. The the comparison just becomes oh, right. directly there, and yeah, so yeah, suddenly, yeah, that's true. you know, that's that is the comparison. If you have an, a Formula E car, if you have a Formula E race at Silverstone, it will be slower than Formula One cars, and you'll go and sit in a grandstand like on the outside of a corner that's got, you know, 200 meters of runoff and you'll be so far from the cars and you'll be so sort of disconnected from it that I don't think as a fan experience that would be uh, great. And I think the manufacturers like Formula E because it's in the city centres, because it brings motorsport to the people. So whilst it would kind of be cool to see Formula One on uh, Formula E on permanent tracks, there's a it, it's sort of against Formula E's DNA, and this is a kind of question that it that it that it has really because at some point the cars are going to be maybe too fast for the tracks that that we race on at the moment, particularly like a a Paris or something. I think Paris with a Gen three car is going to be a bit tricky, so they're probably going to have to look at different options there. But yeah, so there's so many more like contributing factors to to things in terms of marketing, in terms of what the manufacturers want, in terms of the safety, in terms of the spectacle that, um, you know, Formula E could go to a track like Brands Hatch or something. And, you know, maybe it would, it would suit yeah. it quite, quite nicely, but then you're sort of running on these yeah. little circuits that aren't Formula One circuits. And it's an amazing circuit, Brands Hatch. I absolutely love it. But 
does that do you lose credibility doing that rather than your own special street race in the in the middle of Paris? I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean that's yeah that's absolutely true because that you know I hadn't thought about the multiple stakeholders' point of view, but uh, I think as we have next you know as we have seen in Formula One, the budget cap and the financial regulations have had an impact. So even though Formula E is E is already very competitive and already very converged, as you rightly pointed out, will the budget cap or similar regulations have an impact, positive impact on Formula E in the future? They will, because even though it, it will, it will basically Formula One, the budget cap is to is to sort of try and get things under control. Formula E, it's almost like right, right. trying to not let it get out of control. You know what I mean? It's like it's like yep. putting it in before yeah. because. There would be te- and there are teams in Formula E that will start to spend more and more and more, and then suddenly everyone will check, and suddenly you'll only have two big teams that can afford to compete. And then when you try and bring in a budget cap, which Formula One is experiencing, all the big teams are like, "No, we don't want a budget cap because we want to spend the money." So it's almost like the Formula E budget cap is um, is uh, preemptive, preventative, yeah, precautionary, yeah, a, uh, to yeah, try and keep it under control. Solution going forward so it doesn't because we've seen so many series end because of budgets you know in british touring cars went crazy in the 90s and then everything and then it all had to be scrapped back even you look at all the manufacturers that had to leave formula one in 2008 with toyota and bmw and all of that lot and honda because budgets were far too expensive then there's a global crash and that so i think formula is kind of protecting itself against that rather than trying to bring it back to being more competitive it's trying to keep everyone at the at the sort of level that we're at now yeah i think i think what what is also interesting is the fact that not not a lot of fans know about what the teams are actually spending at the moment without a budget cap so it's hard to compare really what you know the budget cap will do for these teams how you know how how hard will it be for these teams to, you know, um, be efficient, you know, minimize the resources they use, but still develop and be on the cutting edge of technology and be at the front of the grid, like in Formula One. Uh, but I want to pivot a little from, you know, Gen 3 and technology a little bit uh, and get into like the marketing aspect of Formula E. And uh, the next question that I'm about to ask, we might be wrong about that. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, you know, it seemed that Formula E somewhat failed uh, to capitalize on the COVID boom it, it experienced with more fans tuning into the sport. Uh, even going to the current season, we did not see much, you know, marketing or engagement from Formula E. Uh, and even during this weird two-month break, uh, and we haven't seen much uh, hype about Gen 3. Obviously, there'll be a reveal and everything, but we haven't seen a build-up like we saw for Formula 1 in Formula E. Uh, what is it that is going on behind the scenes, and uh, why is there this lack of effort on this front, if if I were to say so? Well, I would say that, uh, for, for, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't... I work for Formula E on the race weekends, you know, so I go to the races and that's when I work for them. And then when I leave the track, I don't work for them anymore, you know, <laughs> so I'm not in the office every day. I don't know the uh, the ins and outs. I think there's I think there's always been at Formula E this this. Uh, kind of. Um, what's the word like? 
struggle to find its identity. And that goes right back to the start, where is it a motorsport for motorsport fans? Is it a motorsport for people who don't like motorsport? What audience are we are we trying to attract young people or old people? Or, you know, it's it's always been a, an interesting question within Formula E. I think that um, the COVID, COVID really, COVID was bad for everybody, obviously, and much worse for some people than others. Formula E really struggled because its whole ethos is putting on races in city centres for people to come to. And when all the city centres were closed and people weren't allowed to leave their houses, you can't put on a race in the city centre and have people come. And so that was the difficult part. So we we went to Berlin and did those six races in uh, what felt like four years but I think it was only nine days. But um, <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we did that. And then suddenly the next year, okay, we went to, we went to Diria, but then we had to go to Valencia, which is not the Formula E vibe. Then we had to go to, um, I can't even remember where else, Rome, but without spectators. And then Monaco, which was a great race, but it wasn't XL London without spectators. So it didn't have the Formula E feeling. And I can't quite express express that. But even for me, the last year didn't feel like I was doing Formula E because it wasn't on a Formula E. It wasn't Formula E tracks, you know, in a Formula E location. And that's why going back to Mexico City was great with, you know, 30,000 fans in the in the grandstands and all of that. Because, and you're back in the city centre. You're like, oh, yeah, Puebla. That's the other one where we went to this, you know, racetrack. Yep uh two hours outside of mexico city which did some fine racing nice little track fine but it's not what formula is about so that's why it kind of couldn't capitalize in the way that formula one could still go to all the european tracks that it did anyway it couldn't go to its street races in singapore and in melbourne but when so when formula one can't go to singapore and melbourne the street tracks Formerly's old calendars, street tracks. So like, (laughs) they were like done. So um, I think that's why it was much more of a a challenge. And so add into that, those those six races in nine days were the the only Formula E races during, you know, proper COVID. Whereas Formula One did a a whole season. So I think it, it naturally lost a little bit of momentum there because it couldn't do the races that it, wanted to do uh football could take place without fans and it was it wasn't the same but it was sort of all right but you weren't having there weren't marathons being run you know in in the world and other sort of sporting events that are so reliant on on mass participation that was a bit of a ramble sorry about that <laughs> oh clearly you feel very strongly about uh not having that formula e vibe uh, you know and uh and uh we we totally understand uh and it's it's interesting that you still talk about you know Formula E still, that Formula E is still trying to find its identity, and while you know uh, Alejandro Agag's you know first child if you want to call it Formula E is child is still trying to find find its identity. Uh, we have Extreme E which started last year, uh, and now we'll have Extreme H, uh, which will be the hydrogen version of the Extreme E series. Um, now Formula E has had a significant success in my opinion at least. Uh, I, obviously, it doesn't have the history that Formula One has. So I'm not trying to compare it to, you know, what Formula One or IndyCar uh, as a series are. 
But uh, how do you see, you know, that Extreme E and Extreme H series having a similar success with the fans, given their non-traditional way of going racing, fear races in the calendar, and everything else uh, unique to those series? Because it does seem to be a little bit on the back foot even compared to, you know, Formula E, how, how Formula E was during its beginning days, even though there is uh, just as much interest from, let's say, customer teams in those series. Yeah, I think that... Um... I think that uh, Extreme is really interesting because when I sort of first heard about it and stuff, I think it has the potential to be like cooler than Formula E, you know, exactly. really like cool, <laughs> like these, these big off road things doing these racing on sand, then they're racing on snow, then they're racing on here and they're, and they're, they're all together. And, you know, it's kind of like extreme rally cross, basically. And I love yeah. that. I think that's really cool. I think it will, it, it, because it because as you say, it is not. It makes Formula E. Formula E. When Formula E started, we thought we were like the crazy gang, right? <laughs> we're doing things so different to the rest of the world. We're doing things so crazy, and things never had been done before. And it's true, we were. It pales into insignificance now compared to like what Extreme <laughs> yeah, E is doing. Absolutely. You know, they are doing different things and it's really cool. Now, if you do sort of go that far from the mainstream, is are you going to, you know, create the um the global interest that you want? I don't know. That's that's the question. But I think they've I think it's been a solid start. I think it's a really ambitious project i think some of the racing has been has been really good some of the venues have been really so cool like the one on the where was it was it senegal where they were racing along the beach like on the water like that was just super super cool and even the i was saying this actually in bahrain to some extreme people when they did their race in in the uk in dorset i had the weekend off and i thought oh should i go down and watch extreme e and i thought no I don't want to spend my weekend off in a muddy field <laughs> watching cars go like, come on. Like I've got to like do something interesting with my life. But then everyone on Instagram, it just looked awesome. It looked so awesome. Even though it was, you know, a couple of hours down the road in miserable conditions, the cars were cool and the event was cool and, and all of it was cool. So it's a really, really interesting concept, Extreme E. And I don't know the sort of, end goal of it in in the terms of where Formula E's end goal was to get manufacturers on board and create competitive single-seater racing. I don't know if Extreme E's looking for manufacturers or independent teams or, you know, off-road manufacturers. You know, I I don't know because I'm not sort of across it that much, but I think that it is, it's kind of cooler than Formula E, but maybe doesn't have uh, at the moment the, the mainstream appeal because it is quite different to what sort of Formula One motorsport fans watch? I mean, uh, definitely. Like, I, I think it does share a common thread with Formula e in the fact that, you know, uh, it is trying to promote uh, sustainability uh, in all ways possible, especially environmental sustainability in, in the automotive sense and through technology and whatnot. Uh, and they've gone and, a lot uh, more, Extreme has gone a lot more heavy on the on the environmental yeah. stuff than, than Formula E has. And uh, and, and they have t- they've, they've t- t- taken a very unique and, you know, different route uh, to giving out that message to everyone yeah. uh, compared to Formula E. But I'm going to talk, also want to talk about this other aspect about the future of electric racing. And I feel there are two aspects. Uh, the first is uh, junior categories in electric racing. 
and the second is endurance racing. Now, while it is the technical aspect of endurance racing that poses the greater challenge, uh, you know, fast charging and batteries and things like that, could you, you know, elaborate on the multifaceted challenge that is having junior categories in Formula E or electric racing in general? I think that I don't... I don't I, I don't think I think that I don't see electric motorsport as its own thing. Right? I see endurance, single seaters, rally, let's say, as the sort of big three. And there's room in any of those for any kind of power. So if there's electric rally cars racing petrol rally cars, fine. If there's electric cars racing in, in the World Endurance Championship up against, you know, the, the combustions or the hybrid engines, fine. I don't think that, because if you started, let's say, an electric junior series, so Formula 2E, E2. or something, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. If you start that, and let's say Billy Bob wins. Well done, Billy Bob. He's won Formula E2. If they think, if teams think that, um, if teams think that, who, who won Formula 2 last year? Um, Oscar Piastri. Oscar Piastri, right. If teams think Oscar Piastri, having won Formula Renault Euro Cup, Formula 3, Formula 2 in consecutive seasons, if you're a Formula E team, you might still pick him over Billy Bob, who won Formula E too. So that's the that's the interesting part is that it doesn't directly lead into Formula E because you you know you in the same way that if Billy Bob is really amazing in Formula E too, maybe Haas want him in Formula One because he's that good. So I, I don't know whether having um, specific electric junior series is the way to go but it may be that formula three for example is soon becomes a similar speed to formula e basically and so actually they can become electric for the sake of environmentalism i see it sort of going more that way around that your sort of formula threes or your euro cups might choose to go electric if you know the the cost of uh, electrification comes down and that sort of thing. But I don't see the need for a electric karting goes to electric Formula 2E goes to Formula E because I think then you're, you're, you're cutting yourself off, you know? No, yeah, it's interesting that you say that, you know, the junior formulas that currently exist might choose to go the electric route because there is a rising concern with, you know, Formula 2 adapt, uh, trying to adapt alternative fuels before Formula 1 does. And uh, there's a huge cost concern with that amongst the team owners of Formula 2. So I won't be surprised if there is a movement that starts, you know, begins in, in some time uh, towards electrification. If, like, and it's so expensive already, Formula 2. I mean, it's just yeah. it's just nuts. So, yeah, making it more expensive is a, is a disaster. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah, we totally agree with that. But that is, uh, that was a lot about racing. Now we want to know a little more about uh, our guest today, Jack Nichols, <laughs> uh, you know, We've made him talk for 30 Everyone's minutes about Formula now. E, about what, his, uh, <laughs> about what his day job is and things like that. But uh, we want to know 
who the man is, uh, who, you know, who we see on TV every other weekend. Uh, so obviously, uh, Jack, you got your first first big break as a commentator in Formula 2. Uh, what was Jack Nichols doing right before that? And uh, I guess what were the few little things you did throughout your career uh, so far that led to the creation of the Formula E's lead commentator as we know him today? Well, when I first got my, my big break, I was at... Um... I was at university. I was in my second year at university. Hang on, nine, ten. Yeah, I was at my second year of university. And I'd started doing some commentary. Basically, when I was 16, I screwed up my maths uh, (laughs) A-levels, right? Which is the exams you do when you're 16 to get into university. Totally screwed it up because I was too busy sim racing, to be honest with you. And so I had to take a year out and... um, I worked like on the, you know, on the checkouts at at like a store um, for a year. And while I was doing that, I was retaking my tests and I started commentating at the local race. Well, I started marshalling at the local racetrack and then I started commentating there. And then I sort of kept doing that while I was at uni. And then sort of what, you know, one thing led to another and people heard my stuff and said, would you like to do this? Yeah. Okay. Would you like to do that? Yeah. Okay. And then yeah, 2011, I started doing, the old Formula Two, um, and uh, and some GT racing, and then it kind of went on from there. My my first job in uh, in twenty eleven for um, the FIA GT One World Championship was in China, and I I missed a university exam to go and to go and do that <laughs> in China. But that was the that was the first job I ever did for for a man called Mike, who is now the boss of formula e tv so he then got oh, the formula awesome. e tv job and then he was like do you want to do it i was like yeah okay so <laughs> that you know it's crazy how these things happen really so yeah then i started doing formula e then in 2013 14. or 14 or whatever it was yeah oh, that's awesome uh yeah uh unfortunately i did well in maths and now here i'm doing engineering full-time uh Maybe you should have failed my A-levels too. <laughs> yeah, don't, kids, that's not the lesson, okay? The, the lesson is... <laughs> the lesson. Uh, uh, yeah, but I mean, I love how you say I went to my local track because we dream of having local tracks in India. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Where are you based uh, in India? Yeah, I'm I'm from Jaipur. Okay. It's, it's near to the booth, like it's... 200 kilometers from the boat yeah. uh, circuit. But then again, you know, there's absolutely no go-karting even no. in Japan. No, there's, I mean, so what, there's I'm, there's yeah. Bud and then there's there's Chennai and that's kind of, yeah, and then there's a few little. Yeah, those two are the two biggest ones. There's yeah. like, I've seen, because I did a bit of uh, uh, well, Formula MRF. So I went out to Madras oh, yeah. a few times. I went to Bud. Um, oh, and then nice. I've commentated, I've never been there, but I've commentated on some races on like some, I mean, it looks like a go-kart track in like Coimbatore or something like that. Yep, so, yep. uh, yeah. So yeah, no, I've been to India a couple of times for motorsport and really. How, how was it. that experience though? If, if you would like to elaborate on that. Bud was, Bud was kind of fine because obviously it was a facility built for formula one. It was a bit run down by the time I got there and I loved, just loved loved delhi um but madras motorsport circuit was like when i first went there i was like what is going on because there were like 
there were there were women sitting in the runoff area with sticks because they had to stop the snakes coming on the track and stuff like that and like this was sort of 10 years ago now but it was like and there was no crash barriers you just hit a tree or no they put up some tires in front of the trees and stuff like it was so i loved it it was it was so like uh <laughs> i don't know how i don't know how to, but like um sort of old fashioned but in a in a lovely way and they've they've made huge steps forward now and they've put they've put a load of investment in and vicky chandock's been sort of instrumental in that but um yeah i commentated on mick schumacher at madras so that's that's oh, my that's uh, awesome yeah exactly that was the first time i met him was uh <laughs> was at the madras racetrack in oh oh no maybe it's buddha i can't remember i learned the i learned the name of the district for one of them Sh- sri parambadur or something i can't remember whether that's madras it's, or it's probably yeah, in the anyway. south yeah, that uh, would be madras. I, I don't think Redond or i either of us have visited the tracks in the south uh just because you know it just wasn't ever big enough but now you know yeah. uh like you said you know uh there's there's a lot of development going on and especially with uh mumbai falcons racing in formula 2 and formula 3 uh mm. oh sorry formula 3 and uh, formula 4 uh they they are putting in a lot of investments and i think there's a couple more new tracks coming out in in, in southern india so hopefully we'll have some uh, good programs you know uh, and hopefully a uh, and hopefully a formula e race in um yeah, yeah, Hyderabad. That's it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So that would be that would yeah. be really cool. We are all hoping for that, alongside obviously <laughs> F four F four India and uh, F three Regional India. We're all hoping for the Hyderabad dream to come true. Uh, I know my younger brother, who's in India, you know, he's very excited about it, and he's already you know uh, looking to get tickets whenever they go on sale. Uh, so yeah, we're all very excited about that. Um, but yeah, so what like what does a Formula E commentator's job entail you know not just a commentator but as a media as the media aspect of that out of that job so what what strikes to you as a great thing that you do you know uh, what you love to do each weekend basically? well i think the, the 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 reason i love commentating so much is because i am the and i but i i am the only person that whose job is to just enjoy the race right all the the drivers have got to like try really hard at driving the teams and the engine you know they've got to make sure they get the best results and you know all of that the journalists are watching the race but then they've got to write their notes and then they've got to start writing their report and um the tv presenters have to do loads of talking before and then loads of talking after whereas i start when the race starts and then i go wow this is great and then i stop (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when the race stops and that's it i'm done and then you go to the bar like it's 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 i'm so lucky on on that front in that there's no like downside to it that i'm just there to enjoy the enjoy the racing and i love the travel and i love the the racing and it's uh I, yeah I, I'm, I'm just very very lucky really is, is there anything about yeah, your that's... job in Formula E that you dread going into a weekend maybe, or do you absolutely love it from No, I, from I, I really love it all. The, 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 the only thing is like making notes and doing research. So <laughs> therefore I just sort of <laughs> don't really like you, you like you have to do it for the first race, but honestly, when you've, when you've, when you've been so immersed in Formula E, and Formula One as well, you know, Formula One since I was like six, 
and Formula E for every single race. Well, Bart, I missed like three or four, but um, you just know these things. Yep. You know, I don't need to have written down that Degrassi is the season three champion. I don't need to know that the next race is in Rome and Stoffel van Dorn got his first podium there for HWA and Mitch Evans won there and Andre Lotter has finished second <laughs> twice there. And, you know, like, because that is all just sort of in me, you know, because I was there and I lived through those things. And I think you guys must have it with, you know, when you're fans of motorsport and Formula One, I, you know, you could answer, I, you know, I don't know how long you've been into it, but like, if I ask you who was the 2016 world champion of Formula One, you go Nico Rosberg. Like you don't have to have it written down. So when you're so immersed in it, it kind of just sort of lives in you, I suppose. So that's the excuse I tell myself to not do my too much pre prep. Well, now you know why the draft yeah, questionnaire I'm... was two days late. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that was the most brilliant answer we could have gotten for that question, that couple of questions. But how is it working with uh, Dario Franchitti, four-time IndyCar champion? Actually, I'm scared of flying, so that is the one thing. That's the one thing that is not ideal. That's the one thing where I go into the race thinking, <laughs> oh, I'm a bit scared about this flight to Chile. But, you know, we get through it. Um, Dario is, Dario's, I mean, Dario's a legend. I mean, he's, and he's just a really friendly, lovely, down-to-earth guy. He's so um, uh, sort of generous with his time and very laid back. And it's a, it's a pleasure to work with him and to you know, hear all his, his stories and stuff. And, you know, you, that's, that's the other, that's the amazing, one of the amazing parts of the job is you get to know these really interesting people with really interesting stories and, and, and heroes of yours growing up, you know, it's really special. Talking about stories, yeah, you know, uh, what is one memory from your time working in Formula E so far that really stands out to you? You know, whenever someone new maybe talks to you about Formula E, you're like, hey, this is this is what this person needs to know, you know, uh, about about Formula E, this one incident. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, I would probably say like, the, the the last race of last season was very Formula E. Like if someone was like some Formula E up, you'd be like, <laughs> okay, right. Well, Mitch Evans is going to win it, I reckon, because no. he's starting third on the grid or fifth on the grid or something. So I think he's yep. I think he's got a good chance. Highest qualifier, yeah. Yes, and then he doesn't start, and then he's crashed into by the guy who was going to be the next guy to win it. So you go, okay, right. Well, let's have the safety car. Here we go again. So now, right. Jake Dennis has got this in the bag. It's going to be easy for Jake Dennis. And then he's off at the first corner. Like, what is, what is going on? Does no one want to win this champ? Like, it felt all season like no one wanted to win the championship because yep. the championship leader yep. would always be last or crash out or spin or whatever. You know, you look at Sam Bird in London. Yeah. It was, a, it was a nightmare. You look at so many of these people. And then in the final race, it just went to like another level where Jake Dennis crashes out. And then you're like, right. Nick DeVries, right, this is just job done. He doesn't even need to finish it. He didn't even need to finish, I don't think, no. and he would have won the championship. But he's still going three wide into, like, that <laughs> left-hander, turn three, like, crashing with his teammate. And you're like, what is going... Guys, what are you doing? 
And so that really kind of summed up Formula E for me, where you're just you you just cannot anticipate it at all. And you get it a bit in Formula One. You know, who would have yeah. thought that the Red Bulls are going to retire both of them in the last three laps in Bahrain? Like that's amazing. But Formula E takes that to a to a whole new level. So I think that yeah, yeah the last race of season seven kind of summed up, or the first like three laps kind of summed up Formula E. Yeah. I'll- whenever Vedant and I talk about Formula E, we use the term Formula E as just like a way of going racing that is different from like all other ways of going racing. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't even see so many bumps and, you know, crashes in uh, NASCAR or, you know, yeah. supercars almost as much as you see in Formula E. So yeah, it's almost a different way of going racing. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, we talked about Dario, the, uh, the person you work most closely with, I guess. But talking about Alejandro Agag, uh, the visionary behind electric racing revolution in motorsports, what you know, what can you tell us behind behind that vision, behind that uh, that personality that can get all these racing, uh, you know, uh, these cha- these championships started? He's a magician. Like it's as it's as simple as that, and he's got such vision that it's remarkable because um when formulary started or when it was announced in i guess i don't know maybe the start of 2013 maybe the middle of 2012 something like that why why do we need electric car racing like (laughs) what why would we we don't have electric cars what what are we going to race and they had no teams they had no they had no car they didn't know if they could sort of build a car but Alejandro had this vision. He saw the the gap in the market, basically. He's hugely passionate about racing, having, you know, run a GP2 team and stuff like that. And the way he pulled Formula E out and made it work, because it was so close to dying on so many occasions. After the first race in Miami, which I think was the maybe the fourth or fifth race of season one, we left Miami not knowing if there would ever be another Formula E race. Because they had no money. We had no calendar. There was no next round of the championship. And it was really, really close to, to dying. They then managed to find some investment and it, and it all, you know, ended up carrying on. But it was a huge challenge. But then now you're like, well, obviously we needed electric car racing because every car manufacturer in the world is making electric cars. But like Alejandro sort of saw that would happen before some of the manufacturers saw it happening, you know? So I think that was, that was, that's the remarkable part of him. And he, and he, and I just really respect how he makes decisions. You know, he sticks by things, he goes for it and he sticks by it. And if it doesn't work out in the end, then yeah, okay. You check, you change your approach, but it's that he has such conviction And just like, yeah, we're doing this. Let's go. You know, sort of who's with me? And you're all like, yeah, okay, let's try it. And and I really, I find that sort of uh, entrepreneurial kind of style really, really cool. Yeah, that that just reminded me of the fact you always think that, you know, like because of the electric car market now that they've always sort of been there now uh you know over the last five ten years or whatever but 2014 even tesla was not a thing back then there was no. even tesla was struggling there, were, there was absolutely no electric car 
uh, I went that to the first roadster. I went to that. I went to the car launch, which was a year before the first race at the Frankfurt Motor Show, September 2013. BMW launched the i3, and Renault had the Zoe. That was oh, and the <laughs> Nissan Leaf, and that yeah. was it. The Nissan Leaf. Th- yeah. That was it. Those were the three electric cars at the at the motor show. And now you go to a motor show. I don't really go to motor shows, but I imagine it's all. You know, it's all the new electric this, the new electric that, or at least the new hybrids. There were barely hybrids in, in 2013. You had the Prius. That, I think that was the only hybrid. So it was, it's mad how <laughs> much they saw ahead. Yeah, you're, you're probably right about that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been crazy. You, you mentioned uh, Formula One, uh, sorry, not Formula One, but season one of Formula E. And I, I just couldn't uh, recall what was happening, you know, uh, seven years ago. It's been so long. But, uh, Jack, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And before we wrap up this podcast, obviously, I'll have to ask you the very obvious question. Who do you want to see win Season 8 before we move on to Gen 3? Who do I want to? Well, obviously, being an impartial commentator, I don't want anyone in particular to win. <laughs> I, but uh, if I had to, if I had to, if I had to, if I had to guess, I would say Stoffel van Dorn because I think he was... Oh. I think he was the best driver in Formula E last year. I think he was so unlucky it was it was absurd. I think he was really like I think he was really maybe not unfairly treated in Formula One, but he I don't know. I don't know He's what just went there at a bad time, I feel. Formula One, but yeah, exactly. I don't I don't know what went wrong, but it seemed undeserved because I think he is a I think he's I think he's fantastic. So uh Van Dorn would be my would be my pick if I if I had to choose if I would I would if I had to like to see I would like to see Jaguar win just because they you know they've returned to <laughs> motorsport and all of that and they haven't you know won a championship in a you know a long time as as Jaguar as a manufacturer entry so I think that would be a that would be a cool one well, yeah, yeah, we, we, we are all for Stoffel van Dorn, you know, we, we feel for him uh, as much as I think you did, uh, you do. And uh, yeah, as a team, I think I think we're on the side of Mahindra just because uh, that's our home yeah. team in a way. <laughs> uh, but once again, Jack, <laughs> thank you so much for giving us your time. It's been, uh, I don't think I've laughed so much talking to someone about Formula E in, in, in the last year. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, this is very serious. Formula E is very serious. That's why. Very serious. Yeah, absolutely. No crashes, just business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, thank you so much once again. Thank you, Vedan, for joining me uh, on the Motorsport Medic podcast. And I hope all our listeners enjoy this just as much as we did. Thank you so much once again. And we'll catch you on the next one.